0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 10.45 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I know we're missing a good crew of people. We have an awesome thing that happens during our winter months uh, for both men and women's uh, ministries. We have our women's retreat going on right now. Uh, I think they had about 250 gals over there at the coast, and uh, what what an awesome opportunity for them to be able to go away. We call it a retreat, so hopefully they can get a little bit of rest, but I'm going to believe you'll probably, if your uh, wife or somebody uh, is uh, over there, they're probably not going to come back looking as rested as uh, the name retreat would imply. Uh, I just want to remind you of a couple of things, um, and and I'm thankful I, I get to... Uh, look around and find Christina here uh, this morning. Um, But uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit uh, today, but in my home there's also another HS, the heavenly sweetness, right, that's there at the house. And one of the things I hope that she experiences when she gets to the house is that uh, it's not just going to be a great big mess, okay? One of the things you got to remember, we need time to be able to digest what God has done. So if you have a spouse that's coming back or if somebody's coming back into your home this week, don't put all these expectations on them. Just let them settle in and share what God has done. Amen? We ought to have times where we do that. Give them a break when they get home from uh, any other expectations. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. And I'm glad the heavenly sweetness made it here for uh, this message in Acts chapter 2. About the Holy Spirit. Would you take a look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 2. Now for this series we're actually going to uh, be doing our notes. We've said this week after week uh, in a little booklet. If you do not have that booklet with the, the notes, uh, not notes but just a, a place for you to be able to write inside that, we have a free one of those for you. We want you to be able to have these in here. So if you don't have those and you'd like to uh, keep notes, just raise your hand. The guys will hand them to you. Uh, if, you ha- if you'd if you like those, all right, guys, they'll bring those in. Uh, if you uh, just leave your hand up, they'll make sure that they get one to you. Uh, but we want you to be able to follow along. Our goal is that as we walk through, you'd be able to see that what we're talking about comes right out of Scripture. But we'd also love for you to be able to learn in the process, hey, when I am looking at Scripture... I should be able to see certain things just pop out of the Scriptures on their own. And our our prayer is that you will be encouraged not only by our time studying, but that you will learn a process whereby wherever you go in the rest of the world, you don't need Salem Heights to unpack the Word. We don't believe that that would be an appropriate use of our relationship. Our prayer is that you would just rely on the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and delight you, uh, the child of God, with it. Amen? So we need to learn processes here whereby we just feast at God's table when we're with Him and we want to make sure that we get out of the way so that that becomes more clear. So I I pray that that is the case during the course of this study. In the event that you have lost yours and maybe even in the last few weeks you've lost yours multiple times, we're asking you please to write your name in the front of that so that we can get a hold of you some way to contact you. I know we found a few of them lying around here. Uh, in just a short season, we'll, we'll have them for purchase uh, in the main office over there, if you want to be able to keep along, just so we can be uh, f- uh, fiscally responsible. Uh, but until then, just grab those, make sure you get your name in them, we want you to participate. Acts chapter 2, we're actually looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Let's stand and read this passage, an event that actually happened. It's historical and it has great meaning for us. This is what the scripture says. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak. In other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, "Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in our own language?" Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? By the way, it's a good question to be asking in Scripture. But others, mocking, said they are filled with sweet wine. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that you would open our eyes. This is an amazing moment in church history, an event that actually happened. But also, Father, it is a moment that you have written down so that we would reflect and consider what does this mean for us today. I pray that you would help us as we walk through this passage uh, to be amazed at what you did, to consider the timing, and, Father, to consider what it is you want to do in us still today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. J.D. Greer uh, was writing about the Spirit and, uh, in um, one of his books, and he said this, In every age, the church faces the danger of degrading itself from a movement to a place, from a conduit of God's mighty rushing wind to a sacred place where we seek serene spiritual moments, from a rescue station to a spiritual country club, This is certainly true in our day. I have heard the average church in our day described like a football game. 22 people in desperate need of rest, surrounded by 22,000 people in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) He says, the Spirit is mighty. A rushing wind, however, and those filled with the Spirit move. They move to those within their community in need of the gospel, to those outside of their communities who are broken and in need of hope. To the ends of the earth and places that do not share their language or culture. Movements, by definition, move. And that means if you're not moving, then you're not really a part of the movement. When there is no movement, there is no spirit. That's the implication of this text. What is going on today? What we see in this passage is the spirit of God moves in and the church begins to speak up. They move in a different way. I just want us to highlight a couple of things uh, in here, and I I want us to see the picture that is uh, the beginning of the church, all right? So what picture did this happen in the middle of? There's a moment that this happened, there's some things that are happening to them, and what is it that they did as a result? Let's look at those things. We're going to start with the picture. Um, This is happening at Pentecost. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 15, it says there's 120 of them there, not just the twelve. But there is 120 individuals that are at this place. They have stayed there because Jesus told them as he was lifting up from the earth, he said, you need to go not very many days from now at the time of Pentecost. The Spirit of God will come. So they are waiting for Jesus to fulfill his word to them. They're waiting in this room. They are praying and they are staying prepared. This moment comes on that 120. And the first thing that I think is of utmost importance here. Is the timing in which the Holy Spirit comes. They were participating in an ancient picture. This happens at the day of Pentecost. It says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost happens seven weeks after the Passover. This is seven weeks after the resurrection. The church was born on the Sunday Seven weeks later, Sunday, Christ rises from the grave, and on a Sunday, seven weeks later, this is when the church is born. Historically, uh, the Jews understood the time of Pentecost to be the timing where Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and they had a brand new understanding of how they could approach God. They now understood what God wanted, how it was that they were to uh, live their lives and interact with each other. So he comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And now, at the time of Pentecost in the church age, once again, we have a new understanding of how we respond to God. No longer under law, but now under grace. No longer do we have the Ten Commandments. Now we have the Spirit of God who is moving us. Aren't you thankful for that transition? happens at the same time that they were anticipating. They were talking about God speaking to them and changing uh, salvation history. This was a time that celebrated the harvest. It was the second of three feasts that are highlighted in Scripture that required all of Jerusalem, all of the, the men in Jerusalem, or I should say in all of Israel, were to be gathered to Jerusalem for this celebration. Three times out of the year, God commanded, stop whatever you're doing and come. One of the places where this uh, feast is highlighted is Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 17. It says, You shall count out for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, which, uh, by the way, is a, a moment, one of the sacrifices that happened at Passover. So from the day after Passover, you shall count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath, and you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Exodus speaks about this one other time. It says in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 16, Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread... That was at Passover. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you. At this point of time, in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. So he says, I want you to remember, when I brought you out of Egypt, and what you had to do in order to be set free from Egypt. You had to believe in me. You'd put blood over the doorposts of your house. Death passed over. That's what brought you out of Egypt. Judgment that was actually the cause of you being set free. You were set free because judgment passed over you. It says remember that at the feast of unleavened bread, no leaven because there was no sin in the sacrifice. Christ was a sinless sacrifice. And none shall appear before me empty-handed also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest. That's the second feast. of the first fruits of your labors from which you sow in the field. That was the feast of Pentecost. And then also the Feast of Ingathering. So after a period of time, they were to celebrate one more feast, the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles at the end of the year when you gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. So there were three ancient pictures that were there, where all of the men were supposed to be gathered. And Passover was a significant one. Pentecost was a significant one. And the Feast of Ingathering, that Feast of Booths, you had all of these people that were gathered. You were called from all over Israel into these places. And it was a momentous occasion. Shops would shut down. People would stop what they were doing all around Israel. People would drop their activities, and go to Jerusalem because God said, these are significant pictures that I want everyone to participate in. And something that's interesting is this is the only one where instead of unleavened bread, a picture of a sinless sacrifice, leaven was actually to be put into the flour and added with oil, two loaves that are brought together. Now, Now as we walk through this, I want you to remember something. When we come to uh, Resurrection Sunday, and we're talking about Easter, we, we have these moments where we talk about what Christ did for us. He died, was buried, rose again on the third day. He was uh, the sinless sacrifice. And we go back to the Passover, a feast that was actually in uh, Israel's regular process of celebration. It was a requirement, and all of these pictures of Jesus are there. We spent a lot of time unpacking them. They would take hyssop, which was historically a little brush. It was like uh, that was their way of uh, picturing cleansing. And that hyssop was dipped into blood and it was painted over the doorpost. And everyone that put their faith in God, death passed over them. And we have this picture of a sinless sacrifice that causes death to pass over that was buried in Israel's celebration history all the way up until Christ dies on Passover. Isn't that an amazing picture? And we spend time laboring over that and showing all those pictures. But then we forget that there were two other feasts that God said, hey, I want you to also come together and take time out to celebrate these as well. The next one was the Feast of Pentecost. It happens 50 days later. What happens? Passover, you had that sheaf, uh, one sheaf, uh, a lonely Uh, stock that was brought in and they actually had a period of mourning for it but 50 days later it was a time of celebration. They brought oil which historically was always a picture of the Holy Spirit. You have flour and leaven that is baked together. Why? Because it's a picture of the church. You have right here in Acts chapter 2 the Jews and in Acts chapter 10 it happens again to the Gentiles two loaves that are brought together in one household, that still have sin within their ranks. We will not be perfect until we get to heaven. Amen? And you have a picture of the church age, the Spirit of God filling up the church and being an offering to the Lord until that final sacrifice, uh, that final season of celebration, the Feast of Ingathering, a day in the future when Christ makes all things right. That picture of booths, they were in the desert, God provided for them the entire time. Their clothing didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out until God finally took them to the promised land. And in the same way, he's saying, during this age, I'm going to take care of you until you finally see me face to face and I make all things new. Three times they were supposed to be gathered to celebrate. This is one where you have a picture of the church age. Weirsby says it this way. He says the Feast of Firstfruits took place on the day of the Sabbath following Passover, which means it was always the first day of the week. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Jesus rose again from the, first, or, uh, from the dead on the first day of the week and became the first fruits of them that slept, 1 Corinthians 15-20. Now if Pentecost was 50 days later, seven weeks plus one day, then Pentecost also took place on the first day of the week. Christians assemble and worship on Sunday, Because that's the day that the Lord rose from the dead, but it was also the day that the Holy Spirit birthed the church. On the feast of first fruits, the priest waved a sheaf grain before the Lord, but at Pentecost he presented two loaves of bread. Why? Because at Pentecost the Holy Spirit baptized the believers and united them into one body. The Jewish believers received this baptism. The Gentiles. Uh, in the home of Cornelius also. This explains the presence of two loaves of bread. The fact that there was leaven in the loaves indicates that the presence of sin is still in the church on earth. We won't be perfect until we get to heaven. Here is a picture that they are participating in and I think it is an important backdrop to what is about to happen. The Spirit of God comes to them At this moment, but there is something that is born on this day that remains today, that we're participating in, clear, until today. So they were participating in this ancient picture. But the other thing I want you to see is that then they experience a supernatural presence. So they're all together celebrating, once again responsive to what God had expected. They're there for the Feast of Pentecost, and it says in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound. That's important. It doesn't just say a mighty rushing wind, but a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, this is a supernatural moment. This doesn't happen every day, it doesn't happen repeatedly uh, throughout all of New Testament scripture. This is a moment that is shocking, it is profound, it is a miracle. That The church says, this happened and the church was born. It's a pretty significant thing. It says that there was a windless wind. Suddenly there came a sound like a mighty wind. A noise so loud that thousands of people that were gathered for the Feast of Pentecost heard the sound. They did not know what was going on. They were gathered together. Now remember, at this time, there's no George Lucas. There's no surround sound. There there isn't any speaker system running through Jerusalem where they can amplify the words of somebody or pipe in some kind of noise or bring in some kind of effect. They've never heard anything like it. What is it that is causing this sound, but there doesn't seem to be anything that is causing the sound? No wind is roaring through, but it sounds like a rushing wind. And they go to what seems to be the epicenter of this sound. They're all drawn in it. By the way, this is the way humans react, okay? Uh, humans are the only ones that when they get blinded or there's smoke in their eyes, they run faster, okay? They run right towards the problem. Here they are. They're right going towards this place that is filled with sound. But also it says there was a swelling fire that didn't burn them. And divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one. Now remember, in the Old Testament, fire was a picture of the presence of God as much as anything else. When Moses is getting ready to be told in Exodus chapter 4 that he needs to go and let my people go, God tells him, out of a burning bush. It was a bush that was on fire, but it did not burn up. Then we see that uh, he would lead the children of Israel throughout the desert in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. When the temple is there and it says, my presence will remain in this location, there was a fire, a, a holy glow, the Shekinah glory that fell on that place, a fiery presence that landed on that tabernacle and they knew that the presence of, the God, of God was in that place. It is a picture of fire. Now this fire comes into the room and it fills the place. Uh, it's a, a, an important distinction I think here it says and there were divided tongues some people when they tried to draw out what they think happened in this moment picture a tongue that's kind of cleft into like a snake's tongue okay Th- that's not what it's talking about here It's a little tough in uh, the translation to be able to put this out, but the idea is that here you have the Spirit of God moving from a place, a tabernacle, into people, and this presence moves into the room, this fiery presence, and it splits up. And all of those that were there, all 120, uh, the entire number of the people that were there waiting for Christ's words to be fulfilled, the, the, the fire goes to each one of them, swells to fit, and settles on them, every single one of them had the same presence. This is a unique moment. Fire is resting on each one of them, not burning them up. There's something that is transformative that's happening to them. And the people in their transformation begin to speak of the glory of God. They begin to speak about who he is. Now now before we go on, I want to remind you because I don't know what's going on in your mind when you hear this. But Scripture is very clear that what they have just responded to is not a power, but is rather a person. If you have a, uh, a power, you can actually position yourself for power. If uh, we go back to Lucas, right, and you have uh, the idea of the force, and Luke is, is uh, trying to figure out how to use the force, and he's trying to generate, make himself uh, better in using the force. He has an activity that he can do to strengthen his use of the force. If the spirit is a force, then it's on us to get stronger. It's on us to grow in it. It's on us to manipulate it. But if it's a person, now it is somebody that we yield to. Their presence in our life, we yield to them. We give them control. In John 14, Jesus said this, to his disciples. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, a paraclete, somebody who comes alongside you to make you better at what you're supposed to be doing than you already were. And he says that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This is the promise that he gives them. Notice the way the pronouns and the way that he describes what is about to happen. He says there is a person that is coming, the Holy Spirit, and he is with you. He will be in you, but he is a distinct person. The whole idea is that then you're going to become useful. I uh, ran out this morning without my illustration, so Scott was uh, good enough to bring these gloves to me. I want you to notice uh, these gloves, and here uh, they're actually made for a certain purpose. They're made to be useful. They have a distinct reason for their creation. Now, I can set these gloves on stuff, and I can, it might even look like they're responsive or that they have a little bit of life in them if they get bumped. If I had a uh, glass bowl up here filled with water, one of the things that's kind of uh, unique, even without a current going through this, if you put a glove that's down into uh, that water, it will actually undulate just based on the the stuff that's going on in the room. It will actually wiggle a little bit, and it looks like it is alive. That is much like Scripture describes us. We're soaking in the world. It looks like that we have momentum. But this glove uh, cannot be useful unless something fills it. You can, with stop-motion photography, you can make it look like it is doing something. By the way, stop-motion photography, just uh, consider selfies on Facebook, right? It looks like they're having fun, but if you know the person, you know they're really not having that much fun. They just snapped a smile, and they went back to aggravating their family. (laughs) The only way to experience change is if they are filled. But now, if this glove is filled, it becomes useful, and actually it can fulfill what it was always intended to do. It is, it is capable now of picking things up. It is capable of um, being able to cling to something, to do uh, movements based on that which fills it. This is the picture in Ephesians when it says, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk. And and I think he's referencing right back to this moment when they're saying, hey, they're filled with sweet wine. He says, hey, don't be drunk. Why? That's dissipation. You become less of what God made you to be when you're drinking. He said, but if you're filled with the Spirit, you become more of what God made you to be. He becomes uh, able to take you and make you distinct and useful and connected. And he fills you up and causes you to do things And be capable of things that you were not capable of before. Here they are filled with a person, the Holy Spirit that is impacting them. But I want to make just an observation. And I think this is important for us to remind ourselves of as we go through here. Where a glove can seem to be empty, the human heart is never empty. This fire comes in. And it actually, it says that it it split and hovered. It abided on each one. The implication of Scripture is it splits, it moves to each person, and it swells to fit who they are. There was stuff in every single person that had to get out of the way so that the Spirit of God could use them the way that he wanted to use them. The human heart is never empty. We quite often will fill it with things that get in the way Of the Spirit. Uh, A short while ago, um, well, uh, quite a while ago, 1971, there was an Apollo mission where they took seeds up and caused them to go around the moon 34 times and then brought them back down to Earth as part of an experiment. Uh, You can see one of these moon seeds. Uh, There's a tree here. Can you tell if it's different from any of the trees around? (laughs) You actually can't because it turns out there's no difference, okay? They germinated and they grew 500 um, loblolly pine, sweet gum, sycamore, redwood, and dug fir trees. But it was a guy by the name of uh, Stuart Roosh, the Apollo 14. Here he is landing right here. He made it all the way back down. It's amazing to me. Uh, he, He gets into... This thing gets launched into space, makes 34 trips around the moon, lands all the way back down, and then trips on the way out and spills some of the seeds into the ocean. All right? <laughs> I mean, you get the whole way. You just finally land to do your experiment. It's like, don't! <laughs> they germinated. Everything was exactly like seeds that had been on Earth. Only difference is now they were popular seeds. So extravagant was a moon seed that they were using them, they took these seeds that had been around the moon and they gave them away as gifts. One made it to the emperor of Japan and made it to other significant people during that time. There's one that is uh, in Arlington Cemetery, actually at Stewart's grave. There is a marker there that says this is a moon seed uh, made famous by his project. And you can actually see the plaque there in this tree that is growing uh, they have about 150 known moon seeds uh, where they were planted, and they can identify those trees, but there is no functional difference. The question when they went up is, would the seeds that had gone to the moon sprout as easily or grow as large and as vibrant as seeds that had remained on earth? And the conclusion they came to is that nothing had changed. They became valuable because of their association with the moon but not because of any internal transformation here's the key orbiting does not equal transformation and by the way it's the same in the church it is possible that you because of an association with church or association with godly people may feel like there is something now that is different But just orbiting the church, just orbiting God's people, just orbiting the Word of God does not lead to transformation. Transformation happens from the inside out. By the Spirit of God transforming, using the Word of God to transform your life. If there is nothing different on the inside, then you are the same as you came. Just rubbing shoulders with God's people is not transformative. Allowing the Spirit of God to take control is transformative. Amen? It's the truth of God working in the child of God that leads to transformation. Just orbiting the church will not help. Here is a bunch of people now that have gathered in and they are wondering what it is that is happening. They saw this picture. They saw the presence, but now get what they actually say. Uh, th- this is how they know that a change has happened. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak, it says in verse 4, and all of those that were dwelling in Jerusalem, there were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, verse 5 says. These people, when filled with the Spirit of God, began to make a gospel proclamation and people from around the world were drawn in and heard that language The people filled with the Spirit of God always speak. They are impelled to witness. Um, I I think there are in some worship folders as you came in, there's some notes there where we have this uh, outline there. If not, we can get it to you. But... um, Uh, One author highlighted just in the book of Luke and Acts, when the Spirit comes, what happens? Every single time, this is the one consistent detail. When the Spirit of God comes on somebody, they speak and glorify God. In Luke 1:15, the spirit falls on John the Baptist, he proclaims the coming of the Lord. In one forty one, falls on Elizabeth and she proclaims blessing over Mary uh, who was carrying Jesus, proclaims that this is the Messiah. In Luke 1:67, the spirit fills Zechariah and he prophesies about the coming of Jesus. He tells about what God is going to do. In Acts 2, what we're studying here, the spirit fills the disciples at Pentecost, they declare the gospel in multiple languages. In Acts 4:8, when the Spirit fills Peter, he preaches to the rulers of, uh, that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. Acts 4:31, the Spirit fills the disciples. they speak the word of God and boldly perse- in fact, he gives them strength to stand in the face of persecution uh, without fear of the consequence. And in Acts chapter nine, the Spirit fills Paul, and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogue. He, he begins to speak. To them, not only does he tell them boldly, but he tells them the truth by connecting the dots in Scripture in such a way that they begin to glorify God. They forget about Paul, and they just begin to focus on Jesus. This is always the case in the Scriptures. When you see the Holy Spirit, you will see people begin to speak out the glory of God. They will proclaim the gospel. This is still the sign if the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you speak the things of God? Do you glorify God with your lips? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's the proverb, and even Christ repeated it. This is what we need to remember. If you are filled up with the Spirit of God, your mouth is going to speak to the glory of God. This is always the proof that the Spirit of God has moved in. But they did it in a unique way. It says that they spoke in tongues. Notice in verse 8, it says, How is it that we hear each one of us in his own Language. Now, this is super significant. In fact, I think that whenever you see scripture make a statement, repeat the statement, then belabor that statement, and then come back in amazement to that statement, you need to look at it and say, God's trying to get my attention, okay? So he says that they were speaking in other tongues. There were dwelling in Jerusalem men from every nation under heaven. Underline that. Jesus said that you're going to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth, okay? That starts right here. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were amazed because he said, hey, these are Galileans, but I'm a Parthian and a Mede and an Elamite, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. They start to list off places all around the known world, every nation around the world. And not only that, nations that are not friends. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Egypt and parts of Libya that belonged to Cyrene. There was a fraction there. Visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, so Jews by nature, by birth, and others that are brought in from the outside. Cretans and Arabians. Now, Cretans, that, that was never a term in any time in history. If you, somebody called you a Cretan, it wasn't a positive statement, okay? Cretans and Arabians still to this day struggle to get along unless they're in Christ. They're coming from all around the globe, and all of a sudden this rushing wind brings them in, this sound, and they begin to hear the gospel in their own language. You know, if you look at some other religions, and Islam would be a classic one, what they do is they bring you in, and the term they'll use is that they actually want to Arabize your thinking, where you have to study That language, Arabic, you have to read it in that language. You have to understand that culture, but they try to bring you just to one culture and make you uh, understand that culture. But God, when he speaks to the world, speaks to them in their heart language. Wherever you are, wherever you come from, God can meet you right there and have you understand his glorious works. Isn't that awesome? He meets you where you are, meets you with the gospel there. The Word of God can go into any culture, translate it into their heart language. It will meet them there and save them just as much as it will in English. This is not, by the way, our English version is not the original language of the book, no matter uh, what your grandpa said, okay? The original languages were intended to be translated just as they were on this first birthday of the church. They spoke in known languages. By the way, this was a sign prophesied in Isaiah 28:11. Indeed, he says he will speak to this people, speaking to the Jews specifically. I will speak to the Jews through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, this actual verse gets repeated and used as a statement where Paul says, man, I want you to understand the purpose of tongues, he says. In the law, it's written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even then, they won't listen to me. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, specifically to unbelieving Israel. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. He says there is something for the church and something for outsiders. And tongues were always intended to be spoken a direct language to proclaim the gospel to those who had not heard. It was a supernatural moment in the church. Significant sign, prophesied by God that it would happen. It happens, and it is shocking. But, but I want you to see also that this message would go to the uttermost p- parts of the earth from day one. Sometimes when we hear Jesus saying, I'm going to make you my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, we keep saying, well, man, we're waiting. Someday it's going to reach the uttermost parts of the earth, and we'll be done. Jesus actually says... All of those categories are going to be in Jerusalem in one moment and the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and literally on day one he fulfills that prophecy. These people begin to speak out the gospel to people from, it says, every nation is represented there and all of these people hear that good news in their own language in a way that they could repeat it and they went home and they shared. Can you imagine how crazy that would have been? Here you are coming together for one, one more day where you're celebrating with all of Israel and everybody else is together and you're just trying to, to understand who God is and you've gathered for a picture, but maybe you've gotten caught up in the monotony as a Jew, the monotony of uh, religious repetition. We're having another feast, another festival, but how hard is it to get all of these people uh, together in this location during this season? And there's a hardship and an intensity to it, but all of a sudden one festival day you wake up and there is a sound emanating throughout the entire place and you're saying what is going on it it sounds like an earthquake it sounds like a hurricane but there is nothing that is going on and you can sense that there's an epicenter to it and you wander that direction and when you get there even though you're from far off places they're speaking in your tongue this is what God did for you Jesus died was buried and rose again on the third day. And I wanted to tell it to you in your heart language so you know that he did that for you in particular. And all of these glorious works are for his sake and because he is a wonderful God. This is what he did on your behalf. He forgave all of your sins. He set you free and not only forgave you of those, but he wants to send you as an ambassador to other people so that they can know as well you can be in a face-to-face relationship with the living God. And they're hearing this. In their own language, getting ready to go back home. They have been given a script on that very first day. They were witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Where'd they go? They went all the way back to their homes proclaiming these things. On the birthday of the church, it was fulfilled. That's an important thing. Now we come to this passage, and I don't know what you're thinking. There are so many things that we could uh, take a look at. In fact, uh, some folks, as they look at this passage, knowing that there's all kinds of doctrinal traditions that have risen up afterwards, and there are so many theological perspectives, and there are so many battles over this passage, there are so many concerns about preaching it, that many people, in fact, will not preach through the book of Acts, in part because of this very moment. In July 2018, British Journal of Medicine uh, records that there was a woman that came into the hospital and she had 27 pairs of, uh, 27 lenses in her eye, contacts that had been in there. She would gotten those flexible contacts and each night she would go to sleep and she thought that they had just fallen out in the night. They'd actually slid to the back of her eye. So she popped in a new one. Day after day. Can you imagine that? 27 pairs until there was an immense pressure on her eyeball. She's like, something's wrong. You think? Uh, That kind of makes you unnerved. I don't know if pressure on your eye makes you feel as nauseous as it does me. But uh, they went in there and cleaned all of those out. It turns out that 27 lenses in her eye did not help her see more clearly. It actually was getting in the way. I think one of the things that we have to be very careful of when we come to Scripture is we can add all these lenses. We can add all these theological perspectives. We can make a demand of the text to say, I want it to say this, or I want to experience this. We can come to Scripture begging it to be what we want it to be, or we can read with one lens. God said, I wrote this down so you'd be blessed, you'd see who I am, and you'd be transformed by the knowledge of it. We should have one lens when we're looking at Scripture. What does this mean? Mean, verse 12. People are transformed by the Spirit of God even today. Do you believe it? We're living in a church where we're watching people go from darkness to light, going from brokenness to transformation, going from hopelessness to hope. Right here in our presence, the Spirit of God moving in and changing cranky, irritable people into blessings. We're sitting with them. What an awesome blessing. The Spirit of God still moves. The Holy Spirit in this passage, this is the key. He moves in and God's people spoke up. And the difference remains today. The only question is whether or not you will let him have control. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would take these thoughts, um, that you would take this passage and you would drive it deep into our heart, that we would be able to recognize What it is that you did on our behalf, that on this day when the church was born, the Spirit of God moved in and people spoke up. We pray that you would help us even today to sense your presence, that we would yield to you, the Spirit of God, and allow you to use the Word of God in our hearts as children of God, that we would be transformed, that others would see us as transformed, that we would speak and act and live as those who have a different hope, a different mindset, that we would be transformed. We ask, Father, that you would help us to see these things fulfilled in us, Father, in just the way that you have designed for today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.